Hi, I'm Madhvi Romani. And I'm Rena Grobe. And this is Misinformed, the podcast for lazy but smart people. Every week, we'll be discussing a new topic or trend, so you can stay informed the easy way. Serena, what are we talking about this week? Our guests today are Luis and Dana, founders of FemXX, an endometriosis health platform based in Berlin. Hi! <laughs> Welcome both! So you actually have endometriosis. Could you maybe explain for our listeners who don't know what it is and maybe tell us a little bit about your personal journey? So endometriosis, this very complex word, is a disease that affects mainly people with uterus. And this basically means that tissue that is similar to the lining of the uterus is implanting somewhere else. So it can be basically any part of the body. It's usually in the pelvic area, but then uh, it also grows, as we've seen from many experiences in, in other, sometimes even in the lungs, so it can get really, really tricky. Wow. And this disease causes a lot of pain, a lot of different kinds of pain. It can go from really heavy cramps during your period to bladder problems to gastrointestinal issues and so on and so on. So there's really a long list of, of symptoms. Yeah, and in my case, I've lived with this disease for a very long time. So now it's been more than 15 years. And it's actually a very similar story to a lot of other women that go through this. So I started with very, very strong pains during my period, like a couple of years after getting my first period, actually. I didn't know what was going on with me. Like I would even faint and vomit for two days every, every mm-hmm. month. So that was quite tricky. And yeah, again, I had no idea what was going on. We went to many gynecologists that had no idea what was going on. And finally, after I think four years, something like that, I found a gynecologist that had heard of endometriosis. That was also like a long time ago. So like it was really completely unknown. And she had heard of it in a conference or something like that. And then she put me on a a contraceptive uh, pill and that improved my symptoms. But I also went through homeopathic treatments and like a lot of different things that didn't work. And then I felt better. So that was Mm -hmm. that was good in my case. And I could live for some years in a normal way. And then some years ago, I think that was 2018, something like that, I started having pain again, strong pain. I ended up in the emergency room and so on. So I started investigating a bit more. And then I went through surgery with an expert in endometriosis. And that's when I got my official diagnosis. So like many years after. Yeah. And I actually knew that I had it. It was not just a, just a suggestion from my gynecologist. And they also removed it. And yeah, and then I was lucky enough to get pregnant and, and have a son. And so then mm-hmm. you founded, or both of you founded together, this platform called mm-hmm. FemXX. Could you maybe quickly summarize the platform? What problems does it solve for whom and how? Uh, yeah, so the platform, we always say it combines community and data. So when we started working on this problem, we were faced with the issue of not enough data and information out there for patients. So endometriosis doesn't have a cure. And as Dana shared, is also a long way to diagnose because we know so little about it. But we thought there are millions of people out there who suffer from this disease and who have firsthand experience with it every day. So we started gathering this information on our platform, uh, start collecting all of those stories, experiences, journeys, and putting them together in a structured way so that it becomes kind of like a database of patient insights Mm -hmm. that you can filter, search, and look for other women who are like you and what they have tried successfully to get better. And how did did you two meet and decide to start (laughs) a business together? 
I mean, I can start this and then you go on. So I got a baby, right? And then I went into maternity leave. And that's when I, I started like thinking of purpose and like what I want to do, what I really want to do. And I figured out like the combination of me knowing about endometriosis and having lived with it so long and being also software engineer. So having to do with data every day was a really great combination to help other women like me. But I had no idea where to start from. <laughs> so... I joined the program, yes, Entrepreneur First, to meet a co-founder. Oh. And this is how I met Louisa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, before I worked for an online education platform. Mm -hmm. So I was in the ed tech and the learning space. And I also was interested in starting something in the femtech area. And when I met Dana and heard her story, I was uh, inspired. And we immediately clicked as well. So we were supposed to find our match in this group of people. And it was a little bit like, I don't know, Love Island for founders. Maybe you have like sweet dating <laughs> yes. and you have, to, yeah, you have to find each other. And you're supposed to work quickly together and see if it works or not. And then usually at the end of the week, it's breakup times. All the founders who started working together for a week break up and find a new person. And with us, we just didn't break up. <laughs> we just kept going. We kept going because we enjoyed working together and because we connected over like our idea of feminist healthcare. True love. We met each other a bit more than a year ago. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think it was September. Yeah, October, September, October. And then you have like three months to meet your co-founder and get started on a topic. Yeah. And for us, that meant like for me to learn about this disease, because that's part of the problem that a lot of people don't really know, even if I could have it, I've never really heard of it. So the first weeks, we just called patients and doctors yeah, and talked, their stories. Mm -hmm. listened to them hours and hours to see like, what are the common threads we keep hearing yeah. and what can we do with like a technical and an educational background. Yeah. Um, so that was our first weeks. And then at the end of the program, you pitch an idea and if they like it, they invest into your business and then you <coughs> officially start. And that's what happened a year ago. So I, I guess you've learned a lot about endometriosis <laughs> in a very short <laughs> yeah. amount of time. <laughs> Have you learned anything new about it in the... Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much to learn. It's great. Like, not even experts can know everything. Yeah. So definitely. Because my... And that's the thing. Like experiences with endometriosis are so individual. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Of course, there are common threads and common symptoms, but everyone has a different diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Everyone has a different experience with it. Everyone has a different reaction to treatments and so on. So for me, of course, like listening to all these patients and their stories, it was like a eye-opening experience, of course. I thought about myself as being like the example of endometriosis, like with this big cramps. This is also how it's represented mainly, like uh, a woman sitting with a hot water bottle <laughs> and having cramps, which is, of course, like the cramps are a bit more intense than the normal ones. And then I knew about fainting and this kind of symptoms. But there are so many, like it's gastrointestinal problems, it's uh, bladder problems, it's mental health, it's so much, it's a whole body thing, it's a whole body disease, and no one really understands it. So I learned definitely a lot by listening to patients and doctors as well, of course. And I also learned that uh, even doctors sometimes feel lost, because yeah. even the experts, because there is not enough data out there. There's not enough collection of experiences of these women and they have no idea what makes a woman feel better and what makes another one not feel better with mm -hmm. the same treatment. So it's really complex. Yeah. So as you mentioned, so there's not a lot of information out there 
And you mentioned also when we spoke before that mm-hmm. doctors have shown mm-hmm. interest in your data. Can you maybe tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so we, we talked to a lot of experts and one in particular, he was very interested in this concept of patient similarity because that's mm-hmm. how we started. Basically finding your match in all those other patients, this one person or this group of person who is like going through the same, who maybe shares the same kind of symptoms and the same kind of story, and then to look at what has helped them to not have everyone doing the same trial and error everywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. And so that was something that was also interested for, interesting for the scientific community. What makes two endometriosis patients similar, because it's so individually uh, represented, and then do we learn from that why some react to hormonal treatments like Dana did and others don't? Hmm. Or why some, it's about 60% who after surgery endometriosis uh, comes back and they experience the same kind of symptoms a year later again. And for others, they're fine for, for many years after the surgery. So to find out what are similarities and can we draw some conclusions from them around treatments. So the platform, where does it live? Is it an app? Is it a website? Is it both? So it's a website and uh, of course it can be also used on mobile. But it's a web platform mm-hmm. and we have a close community. So to use it, you have to log in so that we protect the privacy of, uh, of all our patients. And what you can do on, on this platform, you can put in your profile and you can tell basically your, your patient story there and your life story with endometriosis. So it's a mix of you tell your story in free text, like what has happened in the, all those years. And you also do it in a structured way. So you give us data like your symptoms, the intensity of those symptoms, treatments you have tried and how have they worked for you, and the diagnosis and all this kind of information. And then based on the data, you can find other women that have also input their profile, and you can filter and go through their experiences and find someone that is similar to you or that has shared some parts of the journey with you, mm. and eventually get in contact if you, if you wish that. How many users do you have right now? One to two thousand each wow. month who come and check the website because there's also like some open information there. Mm-hmm. So we, for example, collected a lot of recommendations for endometriosis experts. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big part of this disease, um, the medical gaslighting, like mm-hmm. people not feeling heard or not taken seriously. Mm-hmm. So yeah, what we encountered a lot at the beginning was people who said like, I lost trust in the healthcare system because I've had so many doctors not believing my pain. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of women or most women have some period cramps. So if then a woman comes and says, I can barely like function on those days, people call her hysterically or sensitive or something while she's actually going through a very different Mm -hmm. experience. So what we started was also collecting recommendations of doctors who have listened and helped. And that was very well perceived. So there are elements like this that we put publicly out there. And then there are others that are closed. And for the closed ones, we have 500 members, 550 now, um, (laughs) who have given their profile and who have shared their health information. And is it mostly Berlin-based, Germany-based, worldwide? It's Germany-based, Yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely. At the beginning, I think we also had some Mm -hmm. English-speaking people. But it's mainly German-speaking and German-based. And have you gotten any feedback from users? Yeah, I mean, feedback is always really nice. We also seek it a lot, like we ask for feedback calls. So what we have heard is that maybe the first step of filling out the profile is kind of like a reflection process. Mm -hmm. And we have heard a lot of users saying, 
oh my god, it was so much work. But I felt afterwards like, wow, like what I have gone through and yeah. to see it like in a profile, mm -hmm. see it like written out there, like I have accomplished a lot or I have tried a lot and like my story is real. And then the second part was then reading other people's stories that read to them like their own was a huge part of validation. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. I'm actually not the weird one. There's another person that has taken antibiotics for UTIs every year, although it was never a mm -hmm. UTI, but it was always like an endometriosis bladder problem. Yeah. And like all of those things to then feel like, oh my God, there's this other one. And this was like the happy stories we heard of people just feeling validated and taken seriously and also a little bit proud of what they have tried already. And heard, I can yeah. imagine. That's the thing. Like we, I think one of the nicest part of, of what we do is being able to give a voice to this people because for example in my case I was the weird one like you said like I, I was always like missing two days of school every month and everyone was like oh she's just you know dramatizing and so on <laughs> yeah so it's really nice to then know that you're surrounded by people that actually have that it's one in ten even more mm -hmm. so there's definitely a lot of, of women that are going through this wow and so Why do you think that our healthcare system has failed women like this? Mm -hmm. And how do you have any idea how we can maybe rethink this, especially when it comes to endometriosis? Yeah, I think part of it is um, referring to what I said around like the pain being accidentally at the same time where everyone experienced a little bit pain. So it was never taken mm -hmm. that seriously. But scientifically, in general, pain of women is not taken as seriously as pain in men, unfortunately. So there's a discrimination of um, women that being women's pain being accepted as normal mm -hmm. or normalized. I think that is part of the problem why it takes so long to diagnose it, because mm -hmm. I think decades ago, as you said, like doctors didn't even know about this disease. It's now starting to become a thing where people are trying to find better ways to diagnose yeah. and to, to do some research. So I think really normalizing pain was a problem and then just not investing enough in understanding this disease. This mm -hmm. affects more than 10% of all women and we still don't know what's the cause of this disease. And that's no wonder in the last 20 years, the German government has invested 500,000 euro in finding out about this disease in 20 years. That's nothing. Like in, <laughs> 500,000? 500,000 is yes. all they invested. And this year, or like at the end of last year, there was a lot of political movement, mm -hmm. luckily. So there was the first time that the government decided to spend some millions on it from yeah. now on. But we're so lagging behind. So there's so much still to invest in, in taking this seriously and finding the cause to be able to find a cure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's years to catch up to this. It's yeah. really sad, isn't it, how women's health is not taken seriously? We did yeah. an episode with a friend of ours who has had four miscarriages. Oh, wow. And she's gone to various fertility clinics, doctor's clinics, mm -hmm. like she's been through the ringer and everyone's just kind of like, well, we don't know why miscarriages happen. They just do. And she's mm -hmm. like, yeah. how, how do we not understand this? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like no one goes through this. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, like, yes, maybe, you know, there is some, like a little bit of research done, but like no one could tell her why this was mm -hmm. happening to her or what she could do to not go through it again. And it's it just infuriating. I mean, even with our doctor that yeah. was working with us, we were trying to find studies desperately yeah. on different aspects of endometriosis so that we can give like some educational content. Yeah. It's like, it's really hard yeah. to find. And it's always like super small studies and there's only one and you have to really 
like you have to be a doctor first of all to find this, the studies yeah. and it's really crazy like there's no data so you worked with a in-house doctor yeah yeah we had a cool. doctor working with us mm -hmm. she's a gynecologist at, at the clinic and she was giving the endometriose sprechstunde so like the kind of endometriosis mm -hmm. uh, yeah, consultation and she started working with us having a very medical view of like okay there's surgery and there's hormones And then we challenged her, like, what else can patients do? And she did all this research, yeah. which was really hard to do. But it was also really interesting for her to see, like, okay, there are actually studies who suggesting that osteopathy or, like, manual therapy helps a lot of women. But they're all so small mm -hmm. that it's really hard to rely on them as a doctor. Mm -hmm. So there needs just to be more investment in this so that then actually doctors can prescribe that without feeling like they're... Like guessing. Interesting. Yeah. So I guess along those lines, what role do you think that private healthcare companies have mm -hmm. to play in this? Because there's a lot of questions, right, when mm -hmm. it comes to private healthcare yeah. around like data, profitability yeah. mm -hmm. and, and ethics. And so like, how do you feel about this? And like, what <laughs> ethics do you think need to be taken into consideration when you're moving in this space? Yeah, I think that private companies are definitely important in this space because they technically or usually move much faster and like focus than bigger organizations or governments and mm -hmm. so on. So they are like at the forefront and they can and they can show the way to to other bigger um, mm -hmm. institutions. Mm -hmm. So definitely there's a need and we we see luckily that in femtech and mm -hmm. like for it's like it's growing so there is more and more companies and that, that makes us really happy. And about ethics of course like when you talk about medical data that's really tricky but I think like as this is also the approach that we took It's important to start with this in mind and mm -hmm. to to take care of, of your patients' data and to make sure that they feel like they're, they're trusting you. Uh, this is a huge part of our, of our business, actually, like making sure that trust is the first milestone and working with, uh, with data... Uh, data protection yeah, officers. Data, <laughs> data protection officers, too. To make this a reality and to make sure that you're not not doing anything with this data. We've actually seen companies similar to ours in the US who then sold out to insurance companies, for example. Mm -hmm. And if you look at US market, that's especially concerning because there's no universal healthcare. So mm -hmm. if you're selling data to insurance, you're also potentially excluding a lot of people from getting insurance. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, of course, the examples that are really scary when it comes to medical data in the private sector. We've found for Germany, the market is so regulated, mm -hmm. it actually makes it really hard to operate at all as a private company. Huh. So that also on the on the bright side, let's say, is the situation for patients is a high protection. Not only the data security, which is a given, yeah. but also what you can do in the healthcare space in Germany is mm. so limited and over-regulated that... I don't see a lot of ways how private companies can mm -hmm. do wrong in yeah. Germany, at least. Yeah. yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I mean, the United States is a <laughs> it's a different it's a story. Different world. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's a different world. That's a very I was going to say is a, a garbage fire, but a different world is a way more polite way of phrasing that. You touched on different femtech companies. So like, what what is it like being in this space? You know, what what experiences have you had? Yeah, so maybe I can start with how we started our funding, basically. Mm -hmm. So we, we came out of this uh, program that we uh, shared earlier, and we got this initial investment from the VC company. So that was a good way for us to start. And um, ever since, we also felt like there's an appetite in the market 
for more diverse founder teams and for femtech in general. Like, mm -hmm. what a surprise, 50% of the population have some money to spend on topics that concern them <laughs> and their health. So femtech is, of course, something now that uh, is more interesting, also interesting to funders and to VCs, to angels, etc. So there is an appetite, but we also see some some downsides mm. of being in the in the space. I mean, maybe to be not to to be too long on this, but we've even heard from females that have been in the space for a while, and VCs and so on, that it's already hard for a woman compared to a man to get the funding. It's definitely harder from the start. And then in my case, for example, we had, I mean, we had some talks and experiences where we, we learned that since I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant right now, actually, that would be extremely hard, like even harder. To so, fundraise now as a pregnant woman. Yeah, because, so. I mean, it, it can be a mix. I, I don't want to say like it's definitely only prejudice. If Of course, it can be a whole set of worries from the VC side because the the main part of the company, like one of the main part of the company is going to be gone for some months mm -hmm. and so on. But <laughs> we, we moms have superpowers and we can manage <laughs> a lot of things together. So that should be also more normalized. Definitely. Sorry, little tangent, but I remember I saw an ad the other day for one of those like short-term leadership courses, you know, for mm -hmm. women. And the woman in the photo was pregnant. Mm -hmm. And I realized I've never seen a pregnant woman in one of these like in business, business contexts. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's was pretty like, cool. This yeah. is amazing. <laughs> wow. I was like, whoa, so cool. That's, I mean, that's true. Exactly. Yeah, I yeah. agree. I never would have. Yeah. And so, mm -hmm. what have you sort of learned from being a founder? Well, in my case, there's like the positive side of finally doing something that I really, really am passionate about and being able to kind of shape that myself. Mm -hmm. So take all the decisions, of course, shared with Louisa, <laughs> but not having to respond to, to someone that has maybe different values and so on. So like really being able to shape the whole concept mm -hmm. of my company, mm -hmm. my values, my culture and what I want to do. So that has been a huge learning and a positive learning in being a founder. And then on a personal side, I, I learned how to manage stress and, and so many things together, uh, being a mother and having to take care of children, Kita and so on. And also running a company is quite a, quite a big deal, mm -hmm. but you learn from it and you learn that you can actually do it. And you're, as I said before, you're a super, super power, super woman. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that makes me feel really proud. I, I once read something like company culture is how you feel Sunday night about going to work on a next oh. one. Oh, that's nice. And I really have to say, since we've been working together, Sunday nights are a breeze. I enjoy <laughs> my Sundays because I come in Monday and I see a person I like and we plan our week and there's not this anxiety about like, yeah. going to work. I've had different Sunday experiences. <laughs> um, so that was really nice. More on like a Femex X related side. Like I learned everything about endometriosis now. I learned that it's a whole body disease and through reading the platform and all of those experiences, I've learned that I probably have endometriosis and I'm, oh. now, <laughs> I'm now scheduled for a surgery next month. So there was a <laughs> learning on the private side um, that, that I kept thinking, huh, that sounds like me a little bit, you know, like yeah. that, that sounds familiar. Mm -hmm. So I actually, through our platform, found a gynecologist, her Ian Berlin, who knows a bit better about this because I, I read, uh, recommended by one of our users. Um, and I just went to her for normal checkups. And then at some point she was like, hmm, 
actually this could be endometriosis. Uh, and then now I went to a clinic that also I found through our platform <laughs> um, that also confirmed this idea and now I'm scheduled for surgery and I feel so prepared for it. Like mm. all of the conversations I've had with doctors, I felt really clear headed. I know what I'm talking It's also scary to know course, everything, yeah. but I feel mm -hmm. really empowered in conversations with doctors yeah. about my own body much more than before. Because I've learned so much about mm -hmm. uh, yeah our anatomy and about this disease. Mm -hmm. Wow, yeah. I mean, I I think through doing this podcast and speaking with different women about just like different, like we did an entire episode on like perimenopause and menopause, mm -hmm. and you know miscarriage and all these things. I'm like, I don't know anything about no, my own body. So much we're so under, we're so misinformed. <laughs> so yeah, misinformed. Oh my yeah, god, it's true. It's it's so scary. Yeah, it's so scary. Yeah. yeah. What is the surgery that you undergo? It's, a, it's in full anesthesia. It's mm -hmm. a proper surgery, and right now it's done with uh, three holes uh, mm -hmm. in your belly area mm -hmm. and like lower pelvic, lower area. pelvic area um so there's these three holes and they go in with a sort of little camera and this is the diagnostic part so they look inside your abdomen for endometriosis they if they find it they also remove it already okay and they take parts of the tissue so they can send it to the lab and confirm it's endometriosis and also as a treatment right they just get rid of it mm -hmm. however that's the problem uh they can't see everything mm. so many women then are left with other endometriosis spots and yeah and they're not cured so this is mm. not a cure it's just a treatment and it can work in some cases and in some other cases It doesn't, as any other treatment in endometriosis. And it sounds incredibly invasive. Yeah. If you are very trained as a doctor to know what you're looking for, you can see potential signs in the ultrasounds, mm -hmm. like in my case. But most normal gynecologists would not be able to see that. Mm -hmm. And then still it's not a diagnosis <coughs> because you can't verify until you really cut open, yeah. basically. Mm -hmm. And also there was a statement I remember from one of the doctors we talked to. They said, well, you have to know about doctors. They only believe what they can see. Mm. And if they do a medical checkup and there's a, like from, from all the values and from all you can see, is a perfectly healthy person in front of you. And that person mm -hmm. says... I struggle so much, it's easy to think that this person is all in her head because you haven't cut her open and you haven't seen the real picture yet. Um, so I think it definitely has to start with educating gynecologists with a practice where you go mm -hmm. for your checkups, educating them on what are the signs that you can see and simply what a doctor told us. Just listen to your patients. That's mm, all yeah. you need to know. Mm. You don't need to see it. You need to know as a doctor that you can see everything from the ultrasound. No. And then mm. you just need to listen and then you have your answers. I think it's really important that we also talk about it because I think mm. the first time I heard the word endometriosis, it wasn't even hearing, I read it. Alexa Chung, I don't know if you know her, the model, she has endometriosis yeah. and she posted a photo of herself in the hospital talking about it. And this would have been like maybe two or three years ago, very, very recently. It was the first time I heard the yeah. word. And then I Googled it after I was like, I don't know what she's what talking about. What is it? And now like sitting here talking about it, I'm like, I can't believe I made it to 30 years. Mm. And it's like, yeah. Yeah. was 28, 27. I don't know how old I was when I found out what endometriosis yeah. is. I had the same experience. I was at work and one of my colleagues, she, she looked sad and I asked what's up and She said that she's just found out that she um, has this or has to go to surgery. And I remember then she took the, what I thought was the bravest ever decision 
to stand in front of her team and say like, okay, this is the disease I'm having. I'm going to go through surgery. I'm going to be out for one or two weeks, depending on how much they find. And it was like mainly guys in the, in the team. Yeah. And I was like, why is she doing this? This is so brave. <laughs> and now like having worked on, on like in femtech for a year, maybe also getting older or I don't know. I'm like, of course she shares it. Why should she not share? Yeah. Like, <laughs> if, if you break your leg and you have to go into surgery you for it, it you, you just talk about yeah. it. Why would, like, why wouldn't you talk about it? But I remember back then, I was like, oh, wow, that's so brave of her. Yeah. Yeah, wow. it feels always mm. so private and so, yeah. and so stigmatized. Right. Yes, it is. Can't it talk is. about periods. Can't oh, yeah. no. <laughs> but actually, now that we worked on this topic, especially at the beginning, like every week, every month, people come to us and say, oh, by the way, I'm also a fellow endo fighter. I now know so many people that I had no idea that were going through this because they now open up because mm -hmm. they know we're familiar with this topic. Yeah. And even my dad, like, he now calls me once a week saying, oh, I have another customer who said that they have that, because he talks about his daughter. And he says, like, it's incredible how many people I now meet and I've never heard of this before. Yeah. Cute. Nice. And I guess just to round it off, are there any other femtech companies or maybe just even tech companies, they don't have to be femtech companies, that you're very excited about, that you've encountered, worked with, that you're like... We are part of an health tech accelerator yeah. at the moment they're called silicon alley mm -hmm. and they just take on a few health tech startups uh, each year and support them and so we're in a really nice cohort there like if i think a bit more femtech we can think of uh, skin theory they do um so health uh, for your skin skin health yeah. uh, for acne oh. then we have their hormonella and suglio they are about period health so mm. menstruational pains and then actually like maybe not in this cohort but like from ef that was a company that inspired us yeah. in the beginning and we talked to the founder it's called the lowdown mm -hmm. uh, it's a quite a big thing in the in the UK. So Alice, she started this at EF as well. And it's about also sharing experiences about contraceptive methods. Mm. So pills and all kinds mm. of. Mm -hmm. And she basically collects all of these experiences and reviews uh, of these treatments. Mm -hmm. Kind of like with the with a similar approach also makes it like a bit structured that you can filter and, mm. and search and understand what's good for you and what's not good for you. So yeah. that was really inspiring for us. We talked to the founder as well, and we, we had a very nice mm -hmm. talk where we shared experiences as founders and as femtech yeah. <laughs> in particular. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then maybe one last area is mental health. And there's one um, startup in our accelerator as well called Claire and Me, mm -hmm. and they help people with anxieties. Kind of a phone you can call when yeah. you're having a, a panic attack or an anxiety oh. moment. That's so lovely. And so the way we end each episode is we sort of ask for, we call them three things you can do to be a better person. I think I would like to start with advice to people who are not suffering of endometriosis. Mm -hmm. It's about, first of all, taking other people's pain like seriously. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if you can imagine what they're going through or if you maybe also have period cramps and you're like, oh, don't be so traumatic. You don't know what they're no, going through, no, no, no. so just accept whatever they tell you and that's take it as a truth. Mm -hmm. um, also, when we did a post on what can your friends do for you, there was this input of, please invite me again. I might cancel short notice because I'm going through a difficult flare-up and I can't schedule <laughs> this, but 
I will cancel on you all the time, but I still want to be invited and I don't want to yeah. be forgotten. Um, and then we also had one pause on what teachers can do, if there's any teachers out there. We've heard that teachers limit the toilet time. Like mm. if you go to the toilet twice in one period of like German class or whatever, teachers maybe will say, oh, again, or why did you spend yeah. so much time? Like, there, Yeah, there's shame around toilet <laughs> time and uh, we just wanted to bring that message out there because it's such a weird thing like people with this disease they have really heavy bleeding often and they might have uh, digestion problems or bladder problems they might have to go all the time when they're in a phase and we should normalize and just let people do whatever they need to do and not comment it and as an endometriosis patient i mean Maybe more in general, um, this helps in general in life. What helps me is getting rid of toxic relationships and people around me because that, like, I really like to surround myself with people I know I can trust, with positive, you know, empowering people like Louise. And that really helps um, for endometriosis patients as well. I mean, they have a lot on their heads and on their minds and in their bodies, so mm-hmm. they really don't need anything more toxic than that. Yeah, and then one thing that is not easy to do, because I'm really open about my disease, but this really helped me through it. It really helps to, to discuss about it, to talk about to, to everyone about it so they, they know about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because then things like if I cancel last minute or if I yeah, if I'm a shitty friend for one month because I feel so shit, like it doesn't sound like I am just being dramatic or anything. The people around me know that I'm suffering from something mm-hmm. and I, I explain it so many times. I I make maybe when explaining, one thing that also helps is drawing a picture like mm-hmm. really explaining in the details like mm-hmm. the pain is just it's not just pain it's like someone is stabbing you in the mm-hmm. in your pelvis mm-hmm. or someone is stabbing you in your stomach so you really need to be graphic it's really hard to do it takes a lot of practice it's not very natural for everyone to just go on to everyone and talk about your your problems especially that uh, that private but it really helps and we've also done a piece on body acceptance mm-hmm. which really yeah. hit home also for me that actually people who suffer from a chronic disease like endometriosis tend to have a very negative self-image. Oh. And what we've also read on the platform were people saying, I hate my uterus. So like this kind of self-hate that we direct towards us, adding to a stress level, it's just adding to all of those negative feelings that probably not helping heal. Uh, it's very natural that you take that conclusion. My uterus brings me pain every month yeah. so yeah. I'm gonna hate it um, but yeah we, we've tried with some coach on our Instagram account if anyone is interested like what can I do to practice self-compassion self-love self-acceptance especially when dealing with a physical disease mm-hmm. and yeah how to help yeah, reduce stress levels because actually stress might increase the endometriosis in your body. Well, we will link everything, all of your social media platforms and, of course, your platform itself in our show notes and our newsletter. So Perfect. everyone will have access to that and we will highly promote you on our Instagram. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on Thank and talking you. to us. Thank it's you a pleasure. for giving this space. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also help us by supporting us on Patreon for as little as 4 euro a month. Visit patreon.com slash misinformed.
For links to all our sources and for our personal tips on what to watch and read, subscribe to our weekly newsletter at misinformed.substack.com. You can follow us on Instagram at the underscore miss underscore informed or email us your feedback, requests, or just to say hi, misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.